If you are staying in here, if you got a Bible, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. And uh, we are going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 1. And uh, last week I did my best uh, that I could to uh, introduce the book of Deuteronomy uh, as, uh, without my iPad. So those who prayed for my iPad, it's working. Look at there. So I, I hope they keep on track this morning to be able to uh, keep you guys uh, on track. But uh, as we discovered last week, uh, talking about Deuteronomy, the name of the series is A Call to Faithfulness because that's exactly what it is. It's Moses. Uh, re-preparing the nation of Israel and the new generation to take the baton from the old generation and actually enter into the promised land. And so um, we're in a book of transition. We're in a book of challenge. We're in a book that uh, Moses is going to transition the nation of Israel into the promised land that God has promised them, which, is, which would begin with Joshua. And uh, last week we talked about four guiding themes or principles that you're going to see over and over in Deuteronomy. And one, uh, first and foremost, is that God is a holy God. That when you read the Old Testament and you read uh, about God in Deuteronomy, you realize God is God and there's no one like Him. There is no one even close to Him. And when I use the word holy, I mean separate, above all, nothing even compares to who God is. Regardless of what idol you may put in your life or regardless of what God there is in the world or what God uh, you may even make yourself a God, there is nothing comparable to the one and true living God. He is holy. Second thing was that God expects his followers to be obedient to his will. And we'll touch on this a little bit later because that's what we're going to find in chapter one. If God is who he says he is and we've given our life to follow after God, he has a will and he has a plan for our life. He has a purpose. But we are to be obedient to that. It is our job to be obedient to the will of God. Third, disobedience to God's will has consequences. And if you read through the Old Testament, you see them clear as day. The nation of Israel was a great example of what happens when you get outside of the will of God and you're not obedient to God's will, that there will be consequences, that, that your life uh, will be turned upside down or your uh, mission in life will. And we'll get to that later on too, because we're going to see that uh, in chapter one as well. But fourth and final, God is always faithful to redeem his children. Failure is never final with God, that God uh, will always accomplish his will with or without our, our, our cooperation, and we can go along and get the blessings, or we can go against it and get the consequences, but ultimately, we're not going to stop God's uh, will, and we're not going to stop God from redeeming his children. It's going to happen. God will get it done, and he is always, always, always faithful to redeem his children, and that's what the book of Deuteronomy is really about. For the first time in the Bible, you see a group of people that God says he loves. You see in Deuteronomy as well, not just the law of God, but now you see the love of God and you start to understand what grace is. You start to understand what mercy is. And of course, it's preparing us for understanding the salvation we're eventually going to have in Jesus Christ. But now in Deuteronomy, it's the first beginning of that. And Deuteronomy means the second law or more accurately, a second rendering of the same law. When you read Deuteronomy, you're going to get the Ten Commandments given another time. But it's the same Ten Commandments. It's the same law, but it's, not, it's given a second time because God is reestablishing 
uh, his covenant with his people to be able to do what they didn't do before. And Deuteronomy is a historical book. It's in the first 17 books of the Bible, which is a historical book. Uh, it is the fifth book of the Bible. The events in this book and the people in this book are literally, it literally happened. This is not prophecy. This is not future prophecy. This is something that literally happened. And it's also a transition of how the nation of Israel went from the wilderness into the promised land and finally into the promised land. And I understand when you get an Old Testament, it's very hard to understand. I try to explain it uh, in the early service like a child that grows up in a family. I have a very large family. Uh, Aaron has a very large family. And so, you know, there are uncles and cousins and brothers and sisters that we call uncles and cousins and brothers and sisters that are not really uncles, cousins, and brothers and sisters, right? So we just say that's uncle so-and-so, but really it's just a cousin. And then you got to explain to them, well, your grandpa was married to her, his mom, and you go through the whole process of how you are related. And kids sometimes can get lost and they're like, oh man, I know we're related, but I don't really understand exactly how that happened. Well, the, the stories in the Old Testament sometimes can happen like that. And so part of the introduction of continuing from last week and digging into the Bible, I want to catch you up to where we are. Who is this group of people we're talking about? When I talk about the Israelites, when I talk about the nation of Israel, when we talk about Moses being the leader, what in the world, how, how did this come to be? Well, great question, because uh, as we look through the Bible, we understand that this group or this nation or this group of Israelites originated with Abraham. Uh, Abraham... Uh, God came to Abraham and made a covenant with Abraham. He told Abraham that your descendants are going to be like the sand in the seashore. You're going to have a great nation. And, and, and as we look to this, we understand that physically through the seed of Abraham was this, uh, and the Abrahamic covenant is the descendants of Abraham. And as we look through the Old Testament, we see this come to pass in a nation. That's what we're going to see here in Deuteronomy. But also, it is a picture of something much greater because we also know through the seed of Abraham comes the spiritual lineage of Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of the world, both Israelites, Jews, non-Jews, and all the rest. So in the physical sense, what we see is this nation. And as we sit here in the Old Testament and how this came to pass was Abraham had a child. He had a child of promise named Isaac. He had another child, Ishmael, but that's not the child of promise. The child of promise was Isaac, and Isaac had, uh, uh, was the promised seed. He had a son named Jacob, and Jacob had a brother named Esau. Esau wasn't the promised line either, so uh, Jacob was, and Jacob had 12 sons. And those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. That's where Israel began uh, to have their name. The, his sons were the 12 tribes of Israel. And the, the second part of that is Jacob also had a 13th son or another son that was not a leader of the 12 tribes, but his name was Joseph. And when you read your Bible through Genesis, you'll realize you hear a lot about Joseph. Who was Joseph? Joseph was the son of Jacob, but he was he was sold into slavery. He was given up by his brothers because they despised him. They sent him off to a land in Egypt. He was put in a pit. He was put in a prison. He was treated horribly, but he ended up shining through because God was with him and God ended up using him to become the second in line in the nation of, of Egypt. He was literally second in command to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the greatest uh, leader on the face of the earth, the most powerful leader. And so in that process, Joseph, uh, whatever Joseph said, basically Pharaoh would do. And they had the whole nation behind it to accomplish it. So Joseph told, had a dream that God gave him. He told Pharaoh, listen, a famine is coming and we need to store food. 
That way, when we store food, the famine will come and we'll be, have plenty of food and we won't perish as a nation. So they began to store food. They stored enough food. Sure enough, famine came into the land. And uh, as that happened, there were several nations around them or people around them that were starving. And as they were starving, they would come to Joseph and they would come to the Egypt and they say, hey, would you please give us food so we can live? And some they gave food to and some they didn't. But Joseph was there one day and sure enough, guess who came asking for food? It was the brothers of Joseph. And they came and Joseph could have rightfully judged them and not give them food, but he loved his, his, loved his brothers and he loved his dad. And he said, listen, what I'll do is I'm going to uh, go on, forgive you. And on the behalf of Pharaoh and, the, and, the, and Egypt, we are going to give you the food. And he brings his family with him to Egypt. And they settle in the land right outside of Egypt. And they begin to settle down there and dwell there. And the 12 tribes of Israel was there. And that's how the, the beginning of this uh, area was in Egypt. And so they dwelt and they prospered and they begin to grow. Uh, what started out very small all of a sudden became uh, half, a, half a million people. And so Joseph died. Pharaoh died. Another Pharaoh comes onto the scene and they begin to have trouble. And they begin to have a hard time uh, working and they didn't want to work. So they said, hey, who are these Israelites? Why don't we take them and make them our slaves? They can't fight. They can't do battle against us. And so they took and conquered them, or didn't really conquer them. They just took them and made them uh, slaves of them, of them. And they began to make bricks and build things for Pharaoh and, and, and Egypt. And so in the midst of their suffering and their pain, they were treated terribly. They called out on God. And because God is a redeeming God, because God is a God of covenant, because God is a God of grace, he answered and he said, yes, I will deliver you. I'm going to deliver you from the hand of Pharaoh and all the slavery you're under and all the, uh, all of the hard times you have. And so God sent a man named Moses. Hopefully that sounds familiar to you, all right? Moses comes onto the scene. And Moses comes and leads God's people out of Egypt into the wilderness on the way to a promised land. And God tells them, I'm going to make you a great nation. At this point, when we get to Deuteronomy, it's about a million and a half people now. And so they have a million and a half people. God says, I'm going to give you my law. I'm going to make you my people. You're going to establish a nation amongst the world. And people are going to come to you and see the light and the salt of who God is. And that I am the one true and living God. And so God gave the law. They entered, uh, went across on the Red Sea. They was delivered from Egypt. They were in the wilderness. God commanded them to go into the promised land. Everything good so far. Except when they got to the Jordan River, God told them to take the land. And guess what? They didn't take the land. All of a sudden, we're going to read in Deuteronomy what happens here in a few minutes. But they shrink back from what God has called them to do. So God comes now and he sends them back into the wilderness. And that's where Deuteronomy comes in. How do they get from in the wilderness back into the promised land? That's the story of Deuteronomy. The Deuteronomy comes and tells us how they, when they walked back from the, the, the Jordan River to how they actually cross over the river through, through, of Jordan through Joshua. That's how the transition happens. And so in Deuteronomy, we see this scene of history and how it's written is Moses writes it. And so the first four chapters is Moses doing history review. And we can learn a lot from history, right? We learn a lot of good things from history. 
And history can also be a great teacher of us. And sometimes we don't have to teach ourselves. We can learn from other people's mistakes. And so what Moses does is a history review. Uh, When I was in school uh, going to college, we uh, would have practice. And I didn't realize that during practice and during the games, everything was filmed. And so when they would ask us a question or they'd ask us what happened, we could tell them whatever we want to. And you know what the coach would say? Okay, well, film don't lie. (laughs) All right. And when film don't lie, guess what would happen? We would sit down later that night, and they would turn on the film, and sure enough, uh, you said you sprinted all the way through the line? Yes, sir. Does this look like sprinting to you? No, sir. <laughs> right? Yeah, film don't lie. So what Moses does is he takes them back. They're not literally there. They're in, his, in, his, in his sermon, he's taking them back to say, let's do a review of how this happened and what happened to when you got to the Jordan River that you didn't make it across the river and how you ended up back in the promised land. So this is review. Chapter 1 opens up with Moses reviewing how they got to where they were and how they got back into the wilderness. And so as we walk through these things, I want to recount what happened, but I also want to give you some principles. First, you see the command of God. The command of God to the nation of Israel to possess the land. I'm going to start in verse 19 because I caught you all the way up to there. And I want to read verse 19. Hopefully you got it open to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 19. We're going to read from there almost all the way down to the end of the chapter um, through, through the sermon. So God commands them to possess the land. That's the commandment. So uh, verse 19. So we departed from Horeb and went through all that great and terrible witness uh, wilderness which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites. And the Lord our God had commanded us. Then we came to Kadesh Barnea. So why was the nation of Israel going into the promised land? Because God told them to. And listen, when God is God and he tells you to do something, guess what? You do it, right? If he gives you a commandment, you don't get the right to tell him, no, I'm not going to do that. You have to be obedient to God because he's God and he commands his people and he will command his people. He gives us a will. And when he tells us to do it, we don't get to say, time out, God, I don't want to do that. No, he is God. He can tell us what to do. And he told them to go into the promised land. I commanded you. This is not an option. You don't have any other way of doing this. Now, as a dad and a parent, I understand this because when I'm at home, I get to tell my kids, listen, you do this. And when they don't do it, guess what? I I get upset because I'm the dad, I'm the parent. But then they'll say, well, I I I had to text someone back or I had to watch a TV show or I had to go here. No, it doesn't matter. Everything else you have in your life that's going on, when I tell you to do this, you do it because I'm your parent and you're going to listen to me. Well, it's the same with God. When God commands us to do something, We don't get to tell God, wait a minute, you don't understand. I have a job. I got to do this and I got to take care of this. and I got to take care of that. No, he's God. And when he commands it, we do it. There should be no questions asked. And, and, you know, uh, there used to be a a few bumper stickers uh, when they were really famous in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, One of them was God is my co-pilot. You remember that bumper sticker? Well, let me tell you, God is not a co-pilot to anyone. He is the pilot, right? Like we realize in life that he doesn't just co-pilot, he's the pilot. Another saying was that uh, God said it, uh, I believe it, that settles it. Hey, you could take the middle part out of it, right? God said it, that settles it, right? It doesn't matter our opinion about it at all because he's God and he tells us what to do. And what we have to realize in our life when God commands us to do something, it's not optional. If he tells us to serve somewhere at church, then we should serve there. 
If he tells us to give something, we should give it. If he tells us to change something in our life because we're not being pleasing or honoring to him, guess what? We should change it. We shouldn't be able to say, no, God, I'm not going to listen to you because I'm God of my own life or because I think this is better. No, when God commands it, he expects us to do it. And you see a clear command. He tells them to go into the promised land. And if there's any disobedience to that, we're going to see what happens. And, 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 verse, and the second thing that we see here, and we're going to see what happens in the nation of Israel, but hopefully we learn in our life as well. When God commands it, we must obey it. Number two, God's uh, will or his commands will always require faith and obedience. Now, this is, where, this is where the rubber really meets the road. Verse 20, he says, And I said to you, this is to those, he says, You have come to the mountains of Amorites, which is the Lord our God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set before you the land. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of your fathers have spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. You see, when God commands us to do something, it doesn't just happen. Like we know God has willed it, but yet it still takes faith and obedience to make it happen in our life. That's where we come in. Like we must trust God by faith. Faith is trusting God to do something that you can't do of your own. And when we, he calls us or commands us to do something, many times we look to our circumstances, or our situations, and we say, that can't be done because we lack faith. Because when God calls you to do something, it's going to require faith. You're going to have to do something trusting in God, regardless of what your circumstances or your abilities is. And in your life, if you're going to accomplish anything for God, Hebrews tells us that God, uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God. In our life, if we don't know how to live by faith or we don't live by faith, we're not going to be obedient to God because we lack faith. And, and Moses took them up and said, look, here's the land. And they saw it and they saw giants and they saw other things in the land. He says, but your God is with you. Do not fear. Do not be discouraged. You go take that land by faith in God. And you know, so many times in our life, we get right to where they are, and this is where we have trouble putting feet to our prayers, as one pastor says it, putting feet to our obedience, that we say we trust God, we come to church and say we trust God, we, we, we tell our pastor we, we trust God, we tell our friends we trust God, but when it comes really down to the point of actually being obedient to trusting God on a situation to, how you, to where you don't know how the, the outcome's going to be, or the circumstances are, that's where the real faith comes in. When God tells you to give something, but you don't understand how you're going to be able to give it and still afford the things that you want in your life, that's where faith comes in. Faith comes in and says, I'm telling you, I'm commanding you to do this. You give it and I'll provide it. Or in your marriage. A lot of times in your marriage, we come and we say, God, our marriage will never be what you want it to be, God. There's no way. It's a lost cause. Well, you know why? Because you're not trusting by faith in God. God can take your marriage and make it what it needs to be when you have faith in God. When he commands you to be who you are, it always requires faith. You got to look to things in your life and say, not what I can do, but what God can do. Because he calls us to do these things. And, and when he calls us to do something, it's always outside of our power. It's always outside of our ability. It's always outside of what we can do. That's why God calls it faith. Because we got to trust in him to do it. He's got to do something in our life and through our life that we could never do on our own. And we got to have the faith and trust to do that, to be obedient to do that. I think about just us as a church. 
how God has called us to do things that sometimes we may not understand or we may never even realize what we have or not even have the resources. But the question would be, are we going to trust God to take us to that next place? Are we going to have faith in God to provide for us when we have no way of provision? Because when God calls us to do something, He will provide. Uh, when we were first starting our church, uh, first building we ever had, and the first uh, 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 service was coming, we had no chairs. And I can remember praying and thinking, man, we need to buy chairs. I had no clue how much chairs cost. And to buy 100 chairs was $4,200. I'll never forget that. And I thought, man, there's no way we have $4,200. Well, on the way home from church that Wednesday night, I drove by another little church and had a sign out front and it said, where God guides, He provides. I thought, well, God, that would be nice, <laughs> right? Because I know you've guided, and I'd like your, provi- your provision. And so, uh, anyways, I thought, well, let's go ahead and order it, and then we have to pay for it uh, before they'll ship it. So I was like, yes, let's go and order it, and if God guides, He's going to provide, right? And so one week later, before we had to pay for the chairs, uh, we get a, a, a check in the mail from a friend of mine I hadn't talked to in seven years. I had not even contacted or talked to this person in almost seven years. And in it said, the Lord put this on our heart to give to your, to your church for your building fund. It was $4,200. Now, tell me how, this is before Facebook and everything, right? so have a little bit of faith. All right? They didn't know how much it was, but God knew. And he provided in a way that we could never even imagine. And let me tell you, that's just the beginning of what he's done in our church. I can't tell you the number of times as, as we've come together and prayed and had faith, not in what we have, but in who God is. And listen, in your life, in your life, it's always going to require faith. In your job, you're never going to be able to do what you can do. Always ask what God can do. In your family, in your home, in your marriage, with your kids. God, Lord, for me as a parent, it's very hard for me to try to raise kids in the world that we live in. What, what is my children? Are they going to serve God? Are they, going to be, are they going to be righteous? Are they going to be ones who love the Lord Jesus Christ? I can't do that in my own power because when I look to my power and I look to this world, I have no chance. But when I look by faith and trust in God, that God can use me to influence their life and change their life, that's where the connection comes in. And I can't, I can't live it any other way. We can't do it any other way. When God commands us to do something, it always requires faith. It always requires obedience. In your life, what has God called you to do? What has God called you to do? In, in, in your home, what God has God called you to do? You might be a husband or a father and say, you know God's calling you to be the spiritual leader, but you have no clue of what to do, and you don't think you can do it. Don't discount what God can do. Say, God, I'm trusting by faith in you to make me the spiritual leader that I need. And wives, don't give up on your husband. I know they're pretty sorry. No, I'm just teasing. (laughs) Don't give up on them. Don't look to what, what they can do. Look to what God can do and what God can make them. In your home, in your family, in your finances, God always requires faith and obedience first and foremost. So he tells them, here it is. If you trust me, take the land. If you don't trust me, you're going to suffer the consequences. Well, Moses says, let's look at the tape. Verse 22, and every one of you came near to me and said, let us send us before us 
And let us send out, uh, let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us the, by which way we should go up and of the cities into which we should come. Uh, the plan pleased me well. So I took 12 of your men, one man from each tribe, and they departed and went up to the mountains and came to the valley of Eskal and spied it out. And they also took some fruit from the land of their hands and brought it down to us. And they brought back word to us saying, it is a good land in which the Lord our God is giving us. And you think, wow, so good so far. They, 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 did, they had a great plan. They came up to the land. They sent out spies and said, hey, go out and check it and tell us what it's like so we can come up with a plan. But guess what? That wasn't God's will, was it? What did God tell them to do? He told them to go take the land. And what did they do? They sent out spies. That was a compromise. They told him, God told them to specifically go, here's the land, take it, and I've already prepared the victories for you. But yet they stopped, they sent out the spies, and they compromised. Let me tell you, the first step to disobedience to God's will is always compromise. And listen, it may not seem very bit like a big deal, but with God, it is a big deal because when you compromise, it's the first step of disobedience in your, in your heart and your life. And the nation of Israel was at the, at the point to where they were to trust God and to march on through the promised land, but yet they stopped and they doubted God and they sent out spies as a compromise. And so many times in our life, we get right to our Jordan River and we compromise. We, we, we take the shortcut. We take the short route. We don't, we don't do all that God has called us to do. And you know, when we don't do all that God calls us to do and we compromise, it always comes back to get us. It always comes back to get us. There are no shortcuts in serving God. Listen, there's no shortcut to having a godly marriage. There's no shortcut to raising godly kids. There's no shortcut to having uh, God first in your life. There's no shortcut to doing, uh, accomplishing God's will in your life. When we compromise, it's always the first step of disobedience in our life. And let me tell you, once you take that first step, the next step's even harder. The first step was them just sending out spies, a small compromise, and then that compromise late leads to a bigger disobedience. And then that disobedience led to people, caused the people of God to doubt God and His character. Look what happened in verse 26. Nevertheless, you, should know, you would not go up. This is Moses telling them. You sent out the spies, but instead of going in after getting the report, you would not go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he brought us out to the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up from here? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Amakim here. Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid. Then the Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all that he has done for you in Egypt. And in, in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his own son in the way that you went until you came to this place. So the, the compromise led to full disobedience to God's will. And they completely rebelled against the command of the Lord. And so instead of taking the land and fulfilling God's promise, what did they do? They began to complain. They began to whine. They began to gripe. And they began to say, God, you don't love us. God, you don't care for us. God, you brought us out of Egypt. You brought us here to this land just to die and to have a pity party right there. They begin to say, God, it's not our fault. It's your fault. 
God, we may have compromised and we don't want to go up because you're not a good God. Because you're not who you say you are. Because you don't care about us. You, and they begin to doubt God's character. And they say, we're discouraged because we see the giants. We see what's over there. They started to see their problems instead of seeing God. And it's important. When you live by faith, you got to see God more than you see your problems. Listen, you don't take your problems to God and say, look how big my problems are. You take God to your problems and say, look how big my God is. That's what true faith is. And they turned it around. They begin to look at all the problems. And let me tell you, when you don't believe in God and you don't trust God, you'll find a lot of problems. And you'll start to complain. You'll start to whine. And the first thing the enemy Satan will do is begin to whisper in your ear and begin to, 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 to uh, speak to your heart and say, hey, God doesn't care about you. Look, he, he don't care about your marriage. He doesn't care about your child. He doesn't care about your family. He doesn't care about your job. He don't care about your finances. We know that's not true. The Bible, sure, it's not true. And, and that's what Moses tries to, to, to encourage them. Listen, you know who God is. Look, God brought you from Egypt and he's done all this stuff. How in the world he will fight for you? How can you, ha- how can you have that much disobedience and doubt in God? Because compromise leads to disobedience, which leads to us to doubt the character of God in our life. And listen, for you and for me, this is a perspective we got to have in our life, that we trust God more than we trust our circumstances or our problems or trials. And I know this one's tough, but we got to get to the point where we realize that everything in our life, God is either allowed in our life or he's caused in our life. And when he brings us somewhere and he commands us to do it, regardless of the problems, regardless of what comes against us, regardless of how hard it may seem, trusting in God and having faith in him is the only way to go because when we compromise, it leads to disobedience and disobedience leads us to lack of faith and trust in God. And listen, always, always, delayed disobedience leads to final disobedience. And this is a great parenting tip, by the way. I learned this from my wife. If your kids will get away with it one time and you don't do something about it, guess what? They're going to continue to do it because they know they can get away with it. And as long as they can get away with it, they're going to continue to do it. And for us, with God, when we delay our obedience to God, it always leads in the same direction. We always end up in final disobedience. And that's exactly what happened to the nation of Israel. They didn't snap out of it. In verse 32, Moses says, Yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way for you to search out a place and pitch your tents to show you which way you should go in a fire by night and a cloud by day. He says God had already prepared it. He already had a plan, and yet you didn't trust in him, and it was final disobedience, and that disobedience has consequences. Look at verse 34. And the Lord heard the sounds of your words and was angry. And took an oath saying, surely not one of these men will, of this evil generation shall see the good land which I swore to give the fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and he shall see it to him and his children. I'm given the land of which he walked because he wholly followed the Lord. The Lord was also angry with me for your sakes. This is Moses talking. So God says, even Moses, you shall not even go in there, but Joshua the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there. Encourage him, for he shall cause uh, Israel to inherit it. So what happened? They don't get to go into the promised land. God tells the nation of Israel and, the, and that generation that saw God take them from Egypt, bring them into the wilderness, and not uh, when they lacked faith and disobeyed God to go into the promised land, God said, because of that, you won't see the promised land, that you're going to die in the wilderness. Except for Joshua 
and Caleb and every child that's younger. Uh, verse 39 carries on. He says, those for his plan. Uh, Moreover, your little ones, your children, you shall say the victims who today uh, have no knowledge of good and evil. That means they were still infants or babies. Uh, young children, they shall go in there. I will give it to them and they shall possess it. But as for you, take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. See that? God has consequences. And listen, it's so true. When you commit a crime, you can be forgiven, but guess what? You still got to pay the price for it. When we're disobedient in God's life and we do something outside of God's will, there'll be consequences for it and we still got to pay the price. We can have regret and we can, we can, we can regret those things. And that's why it's so important for us to be obedient to what God commands us to do. And it's so important for us not to compromise. And it's so important for us not to be in delayed disobedience, but to obey God for what He calls us to do and live by faith and trust in Him. But just as I said before, God's plan will not, be, will not end. It is now the job of these people as Moses prepares the young generation to take the promised land to go to them and say, here, this is where we failed and we don't want you to fail. We want you to take the mantle and go into the promised land. And you know, for us, sometimes as parents and sometimes as grandparents or sometimes those who have influence in our life, maybe that's all we can do with the experiences we have with God. Let's take our mistakes and let's take our disobedience to God and, and tell others, don't be like this. I, and isn't it true that you want your children to have something better than you have? You know, my dad, when I was growing up, he always said, son, I want you to have it better than I have it. And I hope for us as Christians, we want to say that about our kids. Listen, I want you to have it better than I did. I want you to trust God more than I did. As a church, how about us hand it to the next generation and say, we want you to have it better than we had it. And we make mistakes, but yet learn from our mistakes. Learn from when you disobey God, there will be consequences. Trust and obey God and trust in Him. That's the greatest way. Because when you do that, you're going to dwell in the promised land. When you don't, you suffer the consequences and you have to live in the wilderness. And with God, it's always most important for us to remember those things and to teach our children those things. And that's what Moses is saying. The film didn't lie. This wasn't a God problem. This was the nation of Israel problem. This wasn't God not being faithful. This was Israel being disobedient to God. And as we begin to work through Deuteronomy, he begins to take them through the process of the wilderness to prepare them to show the new generation, hey, when you get to that Jordan River, have faith and trust in God and walk through to the promised land because it's a lot better than living in the wilderness. Let's pray together this morning.